I want to begin this evening by telling you about a hero of mine by the name of Rick France. Rick was my youth pastor many, 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 many years ago. At the time, he was a young, enthusiastic leader in the church, and he played in a Christian rock band. And I got to be his roadie, and he taught me how to, that's, that's the guy, that's the kid that carries all the equipment, by the way, and he taught me how to run the sound system and uh, entrusted a, a lot of responsibility to me, but it was a lot of fun. Rick also uh, encouraged my early guitar playing skills. He even paid for some of my guitar lessons. A huge blessing to me. But none of this is why I consider him a hero. No, Rick is one of my heroes because he led me to Christ. Sort of. That actually would fall to um, the Christian performer Carmen at a Carmen concert, if you know who that is. Um, Rick had taken our youth group to this concert, and uh, I responded to an altar call given there. So uh, Rick didn't actually get to sort of um, uh, reap the harvest, so to speak, but he remains a hero to me. Because Christ had radically changed Rick's life, and he never got over it. He spent his entire adulthood, and still does, generously giving away his most prized treasure, which is the gospel. And I'm forever grateful. Well, this week, we conclude our series on the core values of Mission St. James. We've been sort of envisioning our life together using this metaphor of a house. And if you remember, the first week, we poured the foundation of biblical orthodoxy. We explored the walls that sort of made up the floor plan of our house, which is Anglican spirituality. We met the inhabitants of our house, which was communal discipleship. And we opened the front door, which is relational hospitality. And we sat under last week under the roof, which we called missional mercy. And today we take inventory of the most prized possessions that fill up our house. You could say that this is sort of the furniture, the stuff that fills our house, what I'm calling the treasury of our house, and that's generous stewardship. And to do this, we'll look at Jesus's parable of the talents that we just read. Now, the parable of the talents has always been sort of a terrifying parable to me. Its message is clearly a warning against being poor stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And the consequence of such stewardship is to be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, there's something uh, that's worth noting here before we really get going, and that's the use of the word talent. See, we use this word today to sort of mean an aptitude or a skill set of some kind. But in Jesus' day, a talent was a certain weight used in trade. It actually was a fortune. It was a lot of money. It wasn't just a few coins. So it's, it's hard to sort of estimate what, just what a modern-day equivalent would be. There are estimates all the way from, say, $50,000 to over a million dollars. You get the sense that a talent, a single talent, is quite a lot of money. 
The master had entrusted a fortune to each of these stewards to multiply its value over the course of time. And so in verse 15, we're told that, that, um, that the amount was given to each according to his ability. In other words, the master knew each steward was capable and each steward was limited. Each were capable and limited. The capability and the limits were not what determined their faithfulness in the task given to them. Instead, what led to their faithfulness was their posture toward the master. The first two stewards both desired to please the master. And we're told that they both set to work immediately, investing and trading, and they doubled the value of their talent. When the master returns, they both account for the increase, which pleases the master, right? And he's delighted. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And here it is. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, let's compare those guys to the third steward who buried his talent into the ground. So rather than a desire to please the master, the third steward reacts out of fear, doesn't he? He says that he knows the master to be a hard man who reaps where he does not sow. Now, at first, I think we can kind of sympathize with the steward a little bit. Clearly, his capabilities were not what the other two stewards had. He only received a single talent. Now, personally, I'm a very cautious person, so I don't really like to take risks all that often, especially financial risks. So this steward always seemed like a wise and conservative fellow to me. But remember what the master says about him. He says that he is a lazy or slothful and wicked servant. Isn't this a bit harsh? Should the master at least appreciate that the steward didn't gamble his investment away? Well, not exactly. If he wanted someone to just hold his money safely without ever growing it, he would just hold that, on to himself, hold that money to himself, wouldn't he? So why would you entrust anything to anyone that you didn't intend for it to increase? And this is why he says that he should have put the money in the bank and let it grow interest. And this is perhaps all that the master expected of this one steward. He is called lazy and slothful because he did not do the bare minimum, which is what he was capable of doing. So he didn't desire to please the master but to preserve himself. And this is the choice that lies before each of us every day of this life. The master has entrusted a great treasure to each of us according to our abilities. And we can either please him by investing it or please ourselves by even leaving it, either leaving it be or using it and spending it on ourselves. Well, I'm guessing that when you hear the word stewardship, probably what's going through your mind is, oh, great. 
This is, the, this is the sermon where the preacher tells me to give my money to the church. Well, relax. I will tell you to do that. But when we talk about generous stewardship at Mission St. James, we're talking about so much more than our money. And I want to lay out for us what generous stewardship entails. But first, I want us to look at three important principles that we get out of our other texts for this evening. And the first one is this. Everything belongs to God. He has no need. Everything belongs to God. He has need of nothing. Our second Chronicles passage comes from a dedication service, if you caught that, where King David asks the Lord to bless his son Solomon so that he could build the temple. There's a lot of backstory there, but here David acknowledges that all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Now, you may recognize this from our offertory liturgy. We will say it in just a few moments. And the idea here is that you and I have nothing that has not been given to us by God. Anything that we desire to give to him has been first been given to us by him. It's like a child who desires to buy her parents a gift of some sort, but can't really do that unless she gets some money from her parents to do it. When the parents receive a gift, and you know this, you parents out there, when we receive gifts from our children, we don't begrudge the fact that their children, that we just bought our own gifts, do we? No, we receive that graciously because it's a token of our children's love for us. And that's what's happening when we give anything to God. Of his own do we give to him. And this is what God says in our psalm, in Psalm 50. All the beasts of the field are mine, he says, and so are the cattle on a thousand hills. That is, the sacrifices that you make to God are just returning to him what is already his, what's been entrusted to you but belongs to him. So don't think that he asks for sacrifices because he's hungry, right? For he said in Psalm 50, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the whole world is mine and all that is therein. So everything belongs to God. He has no need of anything. The second principle is that God entrusts his creation to mankind. He entrusts all that he makes to mankind. In Genesis chapter 1, after God has made everything, including human beings, he says this in verse 29 and following. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So all that he made, he gave as a gift to human beings. And this is what Jesus' parable really is all about. This is the wealth 
This is the treasure that God has given to us. And we are capable, you and I are capable of investing and returning to the Lord an increase in proportion to what has been given to us. So I've not been given more than I can handle and neither than neither of you. He's not asking for a 500% return on investment or even 150%, just 100. He's entrusted to us a great treasure. So the question is, will we bury it or will we invest it? Will we spend it? So God entrusts his creation to mankind. Finally, our stewardship benefits others. Our stewardship benefits others. In our second Corinthians passage, Paul is telling the Corinthians about the generosity of the Macedonians. They had been collecting funds to relieve other churches, especially in Jerusalem. And he specifically tells them that the Macedonians were poor and yet gave generously. He was admonishing the Corinthians to do the same thing. Why? Because they were good people? Good humanitarians, maybe? Was it because it was just the right thing to do? No. Look at verse 9 in our 2 Corinthians passage in your bulletin. There it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Are we talking about money here? No. The poverty of Christ supplied the riches of unworthy sinners like you and I. Because he emptied himself and suffered on our behalf, we have become rich. Jesus Christ is the steward who had more talents than anyone. Yet he gave them all up that he might gain you and I. His stewardship benefits us. And this is the reason Paul tells the Corinthians to collect money for fellow Christians in need. So our stewardship of all that God has entrusted to us is for the benefit of others. So this is what generous stewardship means at Mission St. James. We have a treasury in our house. Yes, that includes our finances. Every one of us should be resolved to give the church 10% of our income. This is a standard Old Testament tithe. It's the first fruits. Yes, that goes to benefit the priests, as it did in the Old Testament. If you remember, the priests, the Levites, were not given a portion of land or anything or inheritance because all the other tribes were to bless them. But it goes beyond to the fund the work of ministry. And this is why we're developing here at Mission St. James an advisory team to speak into our budget, among other things, that we might be faithful stewards of the finances of our church. You see, the way that we steward our finances says a great deal about who we desire to please, doesn't it? God or ourselves? Now, living this American life without spending our finances solely on ourselves rather than others is a great challenge, and I make no claim to be an expert on it myself. 
But faithful stewardship begins with the faithful stewardship of our money. And that begins with the tithe. But if you hear me say one thing tonight, I want you to hear me say this. You have so much more than money in your treasury. You have so much more than money in your treasury. And together, the treasury of Mission St. James is overflowing. It's fantastic and encouraging, and it should have been encouraging to us all. So this week, spend some time. I encourage you to spend some time taking inventory of your treasures, your treasury. What gifts has God given you and how can you steward them generously? This usually requires us to take a good, long, hard look at how we spend God's gifts. Our time. We may have more time than we think we have. Things like social media and video games and sports and all other kinds of things. What takes up the time that we could be giving to others? Now, I'm not saying we don't engage in these things. We're just saying that we might, how might we, I'm just asking, how might we sacrifice these things to benefit others? What about our talents? This is our skills and our aptitudes. Do you know how to fix cars? Do you, know, do you have plumbing skills? Do you know how to read? These things we might take for granted. Now, I know that our talents and our abilities are worth charging other people for. I get that. But who needs what we have that can't afford to pay for it? You see, the gospel informs the answers to these questions. God has given you many talents. Steward them generously. Our bodies. This is a tough one for me. It's the only body that we get. It's a gift. And it must be stewarded and generously. Stewarded generously as well. What about possessions? Our families. Our possessions. Our fa- I already said that. The attention. Our attention. Right? Uh, our heart. Our passions. All of these things that the Lord has gifted us with. Anything that has been given to you as a gift by God is a talent to be stewarded. And as a church, this means that we steward our orthodoxy. We steward our spirituality. We steward our discipleship, our hospitality, our mercy, and especially the gospel. This brings me back to my hero, Rick France. A man who had received the greatest treasure any of us could ever receive. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he did not consider that to be something to be grasped, to be sort of held on to for its own sake, something to hoard or to bury into the ground. But he risked pushing me away and many others in order to freely give what was so freely given to him. Beloved, you and I, we are the richest people in the world. We really are. Like the Macedonians, we can give of what we do have and do so generously. Paul says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. 
So God doesn't want others to be eased and us to be burdened. That's not what he's asking. He's asking us to generously steward what has been given to us so that as a church, we might be a spiritual home to others and a place for the wanderers to dwell. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would pour down your spirit upon each one of us, a spirit of generosity, Lord. Let us not squander the many blessings that you have given to us, the great riches and talents that you have entrusted to us. But let us hold them lightly that we might be generous in giving, giving of our time, giving of our finances, giving of our abilities, our knowledge, all the things that you've given to us. So that we might hear you one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.